Actually, it's a great, great book that we're basing this talk off of. And if you're noticing your next steps on your phone, if you're using that, openlife.church slash next steps, we'll have a link to the book uh, that's called A Meal with Jesus. We got really creative with the title that we were inspired by the book for, A Meal with Jesus. We didn't change it much. Uh, but today's meal story with Jesus We'll hear some good dinner advice. Jesus is going to give us dinner advice today. And it really relates to every one of us in the room, no matter where we're at in our journey in relationship to Jesus. Luke 14 is where we find our story in verse 7, and it's on the screen, on your handout, or on your phone. It says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table... He gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you will be embarrassed. You will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he'll come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. They'll invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, let me pause on that verse and why I did a different tone there. I think this guy's trying to be super spiritual, right? He's trying to impress Jesus. He's trying to just change the subject a little because it was uncomfortable. So he's like, oh, what a blessing it will be to sit at the great banquet, right? So he's getting all philosophical. Okay, there we go. Verse 16, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so, you know, I can't come. Happy wife, happy life, right? Verse 21. The servant returned and told his master that what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servants had done this, he replied, There's still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes behind the hedges, and urge 
anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I think super spiritual guy was offended right then because Jesus was like, oh, what, what, what? You're going to miss out unless your ways change. Ugh. Kind of an interesting and cut to the core illustration and yet teaching, advice, if you will, that Jesus gives. And something new is introduced at this great banquet, this lunch and this dinner advice that we see. And it's the challenge to invite outsiders to our meals. That's the sum of the challenge here is don't just stick with those that are like you, that can repay you. Invite outsiders to the table. And not sure what your background with the church thing is. Maybe you haven't been in a while. Um, church might be completely foreign, like you've never grown up in a lineage that passed down faith as we just prayed over Simone's family, the strikers, to like teach your children. You've never been in a home like that, so this is like, well, I wasn't raised as a Christian. This is all new. And my weird meter was going off the first time somebody was singing next to me and your words were on the screen. I have no idea what's happening. You know, so I don't know where your background is. But the cool thing about this passage is Jesus just said, it doesn't matter how outside you are, you're welcome. Like, that's, that's not a deal breaker with Jesus. In fact, he's like, everybody, anyone can come. And really, we should assume people who are really outsiders to the faith, would come because they loved hanging out with Jesus and his friends. You read throughout the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, recording what Jesus did. He's always hanging out with people, and often over meals, as we're discovering in this series. And if you're saying today, if your place in your journey of faith is like, been there, done that, well-versed, I could quote the books of the Bible. The challenge is on. And the challenge here is you're charged with the mission of connecting with outsiders. And specifically over meals. Invite the poor. Or could you see, we could say the spiritually poor who have nothing to give for salvation. Which none of us have anything to give for salvation. It's free. Invite the cripple, it said, or the spiritually crippled, those who have been bound by their sin. Invite the blind or spiritually blind, those who can't see Jesus without your help. Invite the lame or the spiritually lame, those who cannot make it to faith in Jesus on their own. They need others. Invite anyone you find especially if they cannot pay you back. That's a good challenge, isn't it? It's kind of a, a fun challenge. All are welcome. In, in the book, it says, if you tell someone he's a sinner who needs God while you're handing him a cup of soup, right? Because isn't that, oh, yeah, I'll serve the poor. I'll serve the outsider then. I'll go serve in a soup line. Listen to this quote. If you tell someone he's a sinner who needs God while you're handing him a cup of soup, then he'll hear you saying he's a loser who should become like you. 
But when you eat together as friends and you tell him what a messed up person you are, then you can tell him about sin and grace. Jim Peterson writes, I know of no more effective environment for initiating evangelism than a dinner at home or in a quiet restaurant. Man, that's challenging. And it leads us to our big idea. Our big idea today is Jesus uses the ordinary to fulfill his mission. <clears throat> the mission of Jesus sounds so grand and churchy, if you will, right? It's like Jesus came with a mission to seek and save the lost. And when we say, like, we're carrying out the mission of Jesus, that sounds super, like, majestic or, like, beyond us that it could only be fulfilled by a professional. You know, you think, man, share the good news of heaven coming to earth? Man, I must, I must have to go to Bible school to, to do that. Well, not so. Maybe you're thinking, it's, we're, I'm just too ordinary to fulfill the mission, but Jesus uses ordinary people like you and me to fulfill his mission. He did while he was here. His disciples, those closest to him that he trained up for three years, very, very normal people, fishermen, tax collectors. Unbelievable that he could utilize these to be the foundation of the church. And we can read about this again in the Gospels. But in fact, in the book of Acts... There's this moment in Acts 4.13 where the disciples get in trouble. They get brought into like the religious ruler's uh, courtroom, if you will. And they're under trial because they had healed somebody. And what do the rulers say about them when they kind of talk amongst themselves? They say, these guys are just ordinary men that have been with Jesus. Jesus loves the ordinary. Jesus utilizes those of us that are ordinary for his mission. How does he do that, though? By taking what we view as ordinary and using it for his glory, to bring people closer to him. So we're ordinary. I mean, look at us. We're meeting in an ordinary space. There's nothing like majestic about a school commons and having kids stuff in the wings, right? It's like there's nothing like magical about the facility. We're grateful that we get to rent it. And as we're going to see in the next point, there's something very ordinary about a meal that Jesus loves to utilize. Again, in the book, it says, Jesus didn't run projects, establish ministries, create programs, or put on events. He ate meals. If you routinely share meals and you have a passion for Jesus, then you'll be doing mission. It's not that meals save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals will create natural opportunities to share that message in a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. That's good. Thought one today. Meals are an opportunity to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Pretty simple. Two points today. But meals are an opportunity to do exactly what we're all about. 
People leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. We view the meal as something ordinary, but Jesus sees this opportunity of hospitality and this demonstration of love and servanthood on earth, yet being a picture of this great banquet in heaven when we're welcomed into eternity if we choose to follow him. Do you know someone who hosts a great meal or a great party? Think of that person for a second in your mind. Like, you're just like, they are hospitality. Whenever we show up, it's like, right? Some of the most hospitable people you know might very well be stumbling into the will of God for their life. Right there in front of you. You're like, well, they're not followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter. There's something in us that knows what we're created to do. And it's to love and on other people, be in community with one another. And when you're hospitable, it just comes alive through you. And the hospitality around a meal is Jesus modeling behavior. And, and, and now we get to point out to the reality that heaven is not just in eternity, but on earth. And we get to have a dialogue around a meal. And the religious were confused why Jesus was always showing up at these parties with people providing hospitality that weren't saved. They're like, he hangs out with drunkards and sinners. He hung out with the hospitable. Very interesting to consider. The religious at the party thought Jesus was sharing a story of heaven, but Jesus was showing how the kingdom of God came to earth in the Son of God that day. We can enjoy life more abundantly through a growing relationship with Jesus on earth, heaven on earth. Is through us, living life to the full. It's eternity now. Simon Carey Holt said this in his book, Breakfast on the Beach, an Ordinary Table. Most of what you do as a community of hospitality will go unnoticed and unrecognized. At base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move, setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes, is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. I'm going to start using the word ordinariness. I think that's a good one. We need to work our ordinariness to its full potential. Thought two, meals reveal our heart. Now the tough subject, right? True hospitality is about serving others, not impressing them. Meals can be a visual representation of our hearts, Tim Chesterson says. If our hearts are concerned for position, honor, status, or approval, which the people at this luncheon were with Jesus, then they will be reflected in our dining etiquette. Consider your meals. Express your vision of life. Think about who's invited, how they're served, what you hope to achieve, and the layout of your home. Do they express the vision of the kingdom of God. That's a good challenge. Man, just to invite somebody over for a meal is quite a responsibility, right? A lot of these things we do in the name of hospitality, though, 
are about getting the approval of man. You know, if we're freaking out because we invited somebody over and, and we just feel like our house isn't perfect enough, we could be faulting, like getting more concerned about being loved by people and impressing people versus serving and loving people, which they need. Studies show that if your home is too clean, people will feel they can't be themselves because they'll like wreck the perfectness of your home. Uh, but if it's too messy, they'll think that you didn't care whether they came or not and took no time and effort to get ready. But if it's right in the middle, it looks lived in and makes them at ease. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to use that the next time Dana asks me to clean before people come over. And I don't know how it's going to go. But if you could pray for me, it'd be awesome. Do the dishes, quick. Somebody's coming. Honey, needs to look lived in. The book said, right here, meal with Jesus. Anyway, um, I don't think that's going to happen. In all honesty, we always challenge ourselves <clears throat> to keep our home ready. You know, that we could just have an open door, that we'd have our home ready for somebody to show up and, and join in on a meal if they so choose. But uh, the natural inclination is to make excuses to why we can't have somebody over for a meal. Why we cannot offer hospitality. And this is where our heart is revealed. It's like, what's your excuse, right? Well, three that the book kind of pokes at, and we're going to poke at them too today. One is, is we think, man, it's too scary to invite people over. I'm not a people person. Hospitality is not a people person thing, introvert, extrovert thing. We all eat, right? This is saying, invite people into this. If people are scary to you, the Bible does speak to the fear of man and where its root is at. And that's something that God can help you find the strength for, his powers at work within you. Is the fact that your home and really you will be displayed to people what's scary to you? You're like, man, it's just intrusive. It's scary because, like, they're going to see all of us. And I don't cook, and I don't, ah, right? Um, if you're consumed with the condition of your home, or the you know, then your motives may be leaning towards the impress factor versus the love, serve, genuine factor. Just set that at ease. Take a deep breath and love on someone. Again, in, it says this in the book, elaborate dinner parties can easily become hospitality as performance. They promise intimacy but can in fact maintain distance through formality. The focus of entertaining is impressing others. The focus of true hospitality is serving others. People sometimes say that blue-collar people don't do hospitality. In fact, what people are saying is that they don't do formal dinner parties. While professionals invite you over next week, blue-collar people invite you over now. If someone just drops by, he very well might end up staying for dinner. You'll need to fit in with the rhythms of the people you're serving. It's good. So how do your, you know, who are your neighbors? Who are those you have an opportunity to invite and serve? Get an idea for their rhythm and invite them over for a meal, right? 
when we finished our first ministry experience in Spokane Valley. We were there for almost five years, and uh, we were serving as youth pastors at the time and had great fruit there. There were some amazing moments that we encountered while we were there, took kids on missions trips around the nation and world. We got national awards for like how kids preached or did dramas. It was pretty rewarding. Saw lots of fruit. We would do outreaches. And I remember one, we called them Friday Night Lives. We had uh, over 500 students show up and, and had a student present the gospel. And almost 100 people made a decision for Jesus that day. It was crazy to see the moments that occurred while in that youth ministry. The fruit, some of the best fruit of our lives, and some of the fondest memories. But I remember sitting down as we were moving to Issaquah from Spokane, and we said, uh, you know, we were just getting together one-on-one -on -one with a bunch of the leaders, just saying thank you for all the years they served and, and the times we had together. And I remember one guy just saying, hey, I just want to let you know, like, my biggest takeaway from you while we were here in Spokane while you're here. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, first, it's the way you opened your home. It was just always open. And people would show up. I mean, we had people show up to our Thanksgiving family meal before. It was, it was just kind of the way we, we operate. And, uh, and then, as well, uh, he said, the second thing is the way you tip. And that just caught me so by surprise. It's like the two biggest takeaways is your hospitality at your home and the way you tip. It doesn't matter how the service was. You were generous every time because they provided service to you, hospitality to you. And he goes, those are my biggest takeaways. And I was like, all the professional ministry stuff <laughs> that he would videotape even. He was like the guy that went around with a camera all the time. I was like, uh, yeah, awesome, but this is what stood out. And it just makes you realize the power of hospitality. That doesn't take a professional degree. You don't have to go to Bible college to love people and just give to others to be generous. So it was pretty memorable to me. Well, another excuse is it's too expensive to have people over for a meal. You seen the way people eat? Anyway. I'm not taking them to Menchie's. Last time I took somebody to Menchie's, they got a 10-pound bowl. That's expensive. You know, whatever it is, whatever the hospitality looks like, uh, it doesn't have to be expensive. The, the whole reality of the benefit of the meal is the time spent. And the meal breaks down walls. And sometimes the chaos, chaos of making a meal or even having a shared dinner where each person has the opportunity to bring stuff breaks down walls for conversation. <coughs> Maybe you're single and you're going, yeah, I don't even have a table to have dinner around. How am I going to do this? There's tables all over the community. Go out to a dinner. Have a coffee. Invite multiple people together. And you'll experience the reward of hospitality. Remember the ultimate expense when you're talking about expensive was the price Jesus paid for you and me when he came to this earth, lived a sinless life, made his way to a cross, gave his life up for us, found himself in a grave for three days, overcame death, hell, and the grave, rose again on the third day so that we could have not only eternal life, but life to the full today.
that is amazing, and you are a price worth paying that for. That's powerful. That's expensive. Final excuse, and this is the one that's going to hit us all. We're too busy to have a meal. Margin is our fault, right? Man, this is one of those that gets us in America, in Washington, in the Northwest. We're busy. How you doing? Busy? Really busy. Whatever that means, you know? Because isn't that, how was it this week? Busy. Really busy. You know, it's like a status thing. And we've picked fun at this before, and I've challenged people for like the next week, don't say busy as an answer. It'll mess with you. So I'll just give that free. That's not our application today. But you can try that. Really tough to do. Somebody's going to ask you, what would you do this weekend? Well, man, I was busy. Sun was out. Busy. Lotion in every other hour. Some of you did not lotion every other hour. Not picking on anybody, Connor, but moving on. <coughs> You're a youth pastor, John. Okay, um, so, uh, yeah, just like there's some redness going on. That's cool. Uh, but we have no margin for stuff, and that's our fault. Margin is a choice to be intentional with 24 hours God has given us in our day. So we need to make intentional choices to have margin so that God can use us. Above all, it says in the book, examine your heart. God didn't make a mistake when he spun the world into being. Make 24-hour days instead of 25-hour ones. He expects you to serve him, glorify him in those 24 hours. But he doesn't expect you to be 25 hours of work in a day. He doesn't expect that. I know we want that. We're like, just give me another hour. God, please. Amen. You know, the person responsible for your busyness is you. We're too busy because we're trying to do more than God expects. Got me, right? You may be too busy because you're insecure and need to control life, but God is great and cares for you. And he'll help control your life if you give it to him. You may be too busy because you fear other people, and so you can't say no. But God is glorious. His opinion is one that matters. It's the one that matters. You may be too busy because you're filling your life with activity in a desperate attempt to find satisfaction. But God is good. He'll give you true joy deep inside your spirit. And you may be too busy Because you're trying to prove yourself through your work or ministry, but God is gracious and justifies you freely through Christ's finished work on the cross. You'll never create time for people until you address the issue in your heart and find rest in God's greatness, glory, goodness, and grace. That's from the book, The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, our action point today is simple. In this text, we pull this out. Take advantage of tables. Of tables. Anytime anyone wants to sit down with us, we need to find the margin to take advantage of that moment to have a meal with them. This doesn't mean you accept like an invite to any date, students, that just comes along. Have wisdom. Okay, anyway, just sharing that. But here's the deal. Students, 
you really have a freebie here. When we're saying take advantage of tables and sit down with people to eat, every day at school you sit at tables, probably the same table that you always sit at every day. But what would it look like if you invited someone along that's an outsider to that table? What difference could you make in somebody's life? Man, whether that means having people to your house or inviting them to your table, going to a coffee shop, around tables is a way to truly know people and their story. So live your life open. That's the challenge. Your home, your table, your life need to have an open door policy. Might be different for you. Might take a little prep. But do your neighbors, friends, coworkers, family know that you're available? Will you go to their house if you're invited? Carve out that time. Carve out that time. Invite someone to dinner, and it just might change your life and theirs. Be the ordinary one who finds yourself caught in the mission of a meal. Well, I have two things I'm going to pray over today. One, I am going to pray for you to have the courage to invite somebody to a meal at your home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you invite a neighbor, a coworker, classmate, whatever, over to eat and experience life on life over food. Invite a couple families over to where it's not as stressful, right? So I'm going to pray that you could take advantage of the tables. And the second thing I'm going to pray for <coughs> are those who have never been baptized today in water that are going to be baptized today. Now, we know of quite a few, six at least, that are going to get baptized today that signed up ahead of time. But maybe today you're sitting here and you're going, man, I made a decision to follow Jesus a long time ago, and I've yet to follow his challenge to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I've always kind of wanted to be, but I've never taken that step. Well, there's good news for you today. We are ready for you. If you choose today, man, yeah, I've chose to follow Jesus, and I want to publicly identify myself with him. Baptism's kind of like the wedding of the faith, where we can invite friends and family, and they can see us be baptized. Well, here's the coolest thing. We're going to videotape everything, so you can show it to your friends and family. If you're here and you're going, yeah, I, I've never been baptized before. And here's the coolest thing. We give you a shirt to wear, we, and you get to keep and we've got shorts, we've got towels, we've got um, lady things that I'm not going to talk about over the microphone in case. Well, anyway, we've got stuff to when you get out of the water, redo your hair, hair dryers, and makeup and stuff back there. So that's for the guys probably, right? Anyway, so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of goodness we have going on. We want to be able to take away the excuses, not only for having people over for a meal this week, but if you haven't got baptized, we want to take away the excuses of getting baptized. It's as simple as this. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, the next step is identifying yourself with him publicly through water baptism. And uh, we do it a couple times a year this way, just impromptu. If you want to join us, we would love for you to. We're going to celebrate as a family. We do it party style. We're going to dismiss after the worship team sings in a second. And uh, uh, they should be playing right now. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, and the, uh, so the, they're going to be playing a song. 
Ed's going to come and close us out. Kids are going to come out, uh, you, or you can go get your kids, and then we're all going to celebrate in water baptism out there in the sun. So uh, uh, I'm going to pray those two prayers. And as soon as I say amen, anybody who's getting baptized, if you're choosing to get baptized today, just make your way right over to those tables. We'll get your shirt, get your stuff. You can go change. We have about a 10-minute transition to get you out there and ready for the water. So, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. It challenges us to open our tables. Maybe it's a lunch table at work or a table in our house. Maybe it's a table at school. But, God, that we would invite those who aren't inside our world, the outsiders, if you will, to join us. God, what a challenge. May there be no one that can hide in this community from the hospitality of your people. May we serve you well by serving others. May we love well in your glory and in your name. God, I pray for those that came today and have yet to make that decision to choose to follow Jesus, to give their life to you, that they would make that choice today and wow, maybe they would pop up here in a second and choose to, to get baptized. We're open to that. I just pray that God, if somebody's here and they've yet to invite Jesus into their life and thank you for the price you paid for them on the cross and in the grave, you didn't just come so that they would have eternal life and like eternal insurance. You came that they may have life to the full right now. Your gospel makes a difference today. So if that's anybody here, may they just pray, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you every day of my life. I want to grow in a relationship with you and love others for you. In Jesus' name. And God, for those being baptized today, because they've made that decision to follow you, we celebrate them because we know in heaven there's an eruption of celebration happening. For those that have chose to follow you, man, we count it all joy to celebrate in this moment of their life today. Your name we pray. Amen.